Good morning again. We're just so thankful again to be in the house of the Lord here at Redeemer Church. And thankful for Nick for leading worship for us this morning. He does an amazing job and is, is awesome in what he does. And as we have sent our children off to Children's Church this morning, the question they will be discussing this morning is going to be question 22 in the New City Catechisms, which why must the Redeemer be truly human? Um, and the answer to that question is that in human nature, he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin. And so that's what we're going to be teaching our children. If you've ever wondered what the curriculum is that our children are learning in during children's church, we use the New City Catechisms. And there's some simple questions that are asked about different aspects of the gospel and the scriptures. And it's an awesome way to teach them early on the answers to some of these important questions as they grow older and are more understanding of that. So this morning we're going to be in Titus chapter 1 again, as James left off last week in verse 5. We're going to pick up there again, and then we are going to continue through verse 16. So if you're following along in your Bible this morning, we'll be in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 16. Um, I'm going to, before we continue with the the message this morning, I just pray that, that God would make me a vessel to say only what he wants us to hear through Scripture, and that I would not add or take away anything that is important in Scripture, as we believe at Redeemer Church, that the gospel comes strictly and solely through the Word. So let us read this Scripture together this morning. We'll be starting verse 5. We'll read all the way through verse 16. And then as we pray, we'll jump on in and dive into what the Scripture says this morning. So in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, Upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy words as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting the whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans' testimony is true. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. I'm sorry, I skipped a line. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Let us pray. God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for another wonderful day, Father, that we may come before you and hear your word, Father. I pray, Lord, as I read from your word this morning, that nothing would be added or taken away. Father, I pray that we learn about the importance of elders in the church as James and Redeemer Church has started the elders and training process, Father, that... Um, myself and David and any that come along after would hold to that process and take seriously the uh, the qualifications of an elder as well as the duties that come along with that, Father. Father, I thank you for your opportunity this morning to be in your house. And Father, I pray that we learn from your word. In your name I pray, amen. So as we continue this morning, 
from where James left off last week. We're walking through the book of Titus. We're, so we leave off where James left off in that exact verse in verse 5. So some things just again about the scripture. If we're looking at Titus, I know that James kind of did a little bit of this in the beginning. But the one thing I want to kind of backtrack and talk about is some of the introductions to the scripture that we're reading this morning that are important to what we're going to read. So if we look at when this scripture was taking place, when it was written, who it was to, what it was for, some of the things that James talks about as we go through scripture the way we do it here at Redeemer Church. Um, I always mess up the word that talks about the way that we walk through scripture, but we walk through scripture book by book, verse by verse. We don't skip around and do topic, a lot of topical sermons just because we believe that God's word is complete and full and that when we walk through scripture, it should be done in a linear fashion so that we get every piece of information that's in the book of the Bible that we read. So when we talk about Titus in chapter 1 verses 5, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to his co-worker Titus or to his you know, fellow believer in the faith one that was going out to, um, to disciple, one that was going and doing the same work that Paul was doing himself, someone that had served and worked um, and learned under Paul. This letter was probably written in the mid-60s A.D., so that means sometime in that frame. We don't know the exact date that it was written, but we know it was in that time frame. And this was between Paul's first imprisonment, Roman imprisonment, in Acts chapter 28, in his second imprisonment, which is not mentioned in the book of Acts. So we know that between Paul's first imprisonment, which there were three that we know of, but only two that were in Rome. And so between the first time he was in prison in Rome and the second time is when this letter was most likely written. So let's ask ourselves, the next thing we want to know is what is the reason for why we're reading the scripture this morning? And the one thing, I, I, after reading through it and studying it and talking to James about it, the purpose of the text that we're looking at today is to realize that the qualifications of elders over their assigned flock, which could be the believers specifically, or it could be a church, depending on if we're talking about a, another church plan, if we're talking about the believers here um, at Redeemer Church, specifically in our church. Titus 1-5, through 5, uh, 1, 5 through 16 talks of the specific requirements that we must have as well as the ungodly example set for by the reputation of those that lived in Crete at the time. One's works reflect the absence or presence of godliness or salvation. So we're going to see a couple things. There's three main themes that I believe are captured in this actual set of Scripture. There are more themes that come in the book of Titus, but in this exact set of Scripture, if y'all had to write down three key themes that we will capture um, there are three in, in the order that I studied them. I'm going to go in the reverse order of them. So the first one that we're going to talk about this morning is the, vi- the vitally importance to have godly men serving in the elder pastor position. And even as we install um, in, in the future, if deacons were to come along, there's another set of scripture that talks about deacons. And there's some minor discrepancies between the role of an elder and of a deacon that we talk about that we will talk about later in scripture. And I think we've already talked about in our core group in Bible study in the past. So when we talk about the importance of elders, as we see what Paul was talking to Titus about in his letter to Titus, was that in Crete, there were already believers here. There was already some Christian influence in Crete because Paul had made journeys to the Roman Empire and had visited and talked in the past. He had taught. There were other believers that had taught, and their influences had reached the people of Crete. So we know that Christian influence, the believers were in this place. So the one reason that Paul writes to Titus is because he's telling him that in this particular instance, there is some things going on in Crete that were that were not good. They were not in the 
way that the faith should be lived out. So there were people living um, in ways that were not read about in Scripture. There were people that were making mistakes and teaching that it was okay. There was um, ungodly teaching. There was unfaithful teaching, not living out of the way that the Scripture should be lived out and the way that we as believers are taught. Um, So when Paul was making his journey there prior and between his first and second imprisonment, he wrote to Titus telling him of the importance of this. So here at Redeemer Church, we believe that it is important that we have a structure, right? So in any church, we should have some form of structure because there needs to be um, an order in which that we can help spread the gospel in our community and that we have people that are here to help teach and guide um, all the believers that are here at Redeemer Church. And in the same way, Titus was sent and was being instructed by Paul to go to Crete to install elders, to install pastors over the believers in Crete because there was need of correction and there was need of true, faithful, godly teaching in this place. And so in the same way as we started up here as a, as a core group of believers here at Redeemer Church and as we, we our goal overall is to reach the city of Columbus and the Golden Triangle and the state of Mississippi for the gospel this is what Titus's job was in Crete, was to start that process of installing elders, installing faithful believers, and instructing and being able to teach those that had kind of strayed away from the true teaching of the gospel and the Bible. Um, and at the time, they don't have all the books that we have today, but they did have sets of scripture that were available to them, which were the guidance at that time. So when we look at the second theme that we want to look at today is we're going to be looking at how one's deeds will either prove or disprove one's claim to know God. So a lot of times when you look at in multiple sets of Scripture, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we talk about other places in Scripture where it talks about how our, um, our faith are exemplified by our works. And then there's other sets of Scripture by, by our works that we see that our faith is, the, is there and present. And so when we talk about here in Titus... And specifically in chapter 1, verse 16, it's talking a little bit about, if we were to read it again, it says, They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So in this particular setting, the Cretans were claiming to be believers. They had influence of Christianity. They had influence of the, of the Word and the Gospel. But their works, what they were doing day to day, was not matching what they claimed to believe. And so as Christians, as believers here at Redeemer Church and in the surrounding, when we claim to know Christ, what we do and say should exemplify that. Are we perfect in that? No, by no means. But when we say that we believe and we talk about confessing and we talk about our lives have been changed by the gospel, our works in some way, shape, form, or fashion should come and follow suit with that. And so this is something that was not present or evident in Crete. And then the last thing that we're going to see is the gospel produces godliness in the lives of believers. There is no legitimate separation between belief and behavior. So a lot of times people like to say that, you know, I'm imperfect. So sometimes what I do should not always mean that I'm not saved. Or, you know, that people will talk about, um, you know, it's okay. God's going to forgive me of that. And then their, their lifestyle never changes, but they claim to profess and believe in Christ and that they claim to believe in, in Christianity and in the love that God has shown us. 
But the thing is, we can be imperfect and we can walk in that imperfection until the Lord comes home. We're never going to be completely perfect. But the one thing that should happen over time as we accept Christ and as we truly profess and, and believe is that our lives slowly change and exemplify what the gospel teaches us. So me, myself... I know that I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be perfect. And I know that here as a believer in Jesus Christ that there are times I mess up. Um, I have, I'm have a, a new husband. Um, I'm coming up on my second year of marriage to my lovely wife, Taylor. And we have a new daughter that we had in June. And am I perfect in always leading? No, I have imperfections. Am I perfect in always making sure that I do everything right from day to day and I make no mistakes? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is every day there should be a growing in that belief. There should be growing in that act of living out our lives for the gospel. And that is the third thing we will see in Scripture. So when we look at the purpose of the text, we just want to see in these three themes that we're going to hit through the verses that we're going to read that it is important that we understand the need for elders and that there is no separation between our actions and our belief and that those deeds that we do, those things that we live out indeed show if we truly believe or not. Whether we want to, whether we think we're hiding it or not, those things do exemplify what is in our hearts. So as we go into verse 5, I'm just going to read straight through again, and I'm going to talk a few things that we see in each verse. So in verse 5 it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might... Put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So we see in verse 5 that Crete was already under that Christian influence that we talked about earlier. And due to that encounter with Paul as he made those journeys there before, um, there was some established Christianity and there was believers that were established in that place in Crete. But we see that for some reason that... There were a lot of the teachings from the gospel that weren't sticking, and people were teaching false gospel and were living uh, contrary to what the, the gospel taught. And so he urges Titus and reminds him of the importance of the appointment of elders over the Cretan churches. Because in this, if we have true elders that are teaching the gospel in fullness and in true faith, that eventually these things could be corrected and there is importance in that so that there is not false gospel continuing to be preached and taught and that people's lives continually would slowly but surely be changed for the gospel and not this false gospel that was being preached at this time. So we go on into verse 6 and it says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of, uh, the husband of one wife and his children believers and not open to the charges of debauchery or insubordination, um, and I'm going to read verse 7 too. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. So we see in verse 6 and 7 that things dwelt in on here in this scripture as the requisite of a bishop. So bishop, elder, pastor, interchangeable here. Is a good reputation among those over whom he is to be set. So the believers that he is in charge of. So if we have... James, who's the lead elder here, he's a pastor over Redeemer Church, and we have elders that will come. Me and uh, David have started that process, but we're not elders yet. Um, but through this process of teaching, James has allowed us and given us opportunities to preach, which I'm thankful for the opportunity to grow. And so when we are over a set of believers, if you're an elder in a church, or if you're an elder in a community, or whatever the case may be, the job of that elder is to be able to instruct and teach and lead 
the, the brothers and sisters in Christ that are here in your group. So we can call it our flock, we can call it our group, we can call it our church, um, whatever the case may be. So continuing verse 6, the immorality of the Cretan professors rendered this a necessary requisite in one who was to be a reprover. And their unsoundness in doctrine also made needful great steadfastness in the faith. And what that means is that because of the lack of true gospel teaching and true gospel faith being lived out in Crete, there was a need of correction. And if someone were to be an elder in the church, if, someone, if Titus were to appoint elders in the churches in Crete, and if we were to appoint elders here at Redeemer Church, they need to be somebody that does not have a bad record, somebody that is above reproach, somebody that even though we are imperfect and we make mistakes, someone that is not guilty of the charge of being not hitting the mark that is called upon in Scripture. And so this is something that Paul talks to Titus about. And so we also not only need to be living in that light, but we need to be able to teach about that soundness that the gospel teaches in Scripture. Paul refers also to having faithful children, which specifically what he means here is that as believers, as heads of our household, we should be able to be a good example for our, our wives, our children, and we should lead them to a belief in Christ that they would profess the same faith that we as the heads of the household should profess. And so to be an elder, we should not only be able to help and instruct in the believers in our church, but it should also overflow and should first even be in our household that we are seen to be able to teach and, and love our families and to instruct them in the ways that they should go. And in that, we can teach and instruct our fellow believers in our church and community in the way that they should go. He refers to the not being guilty of indulging in bodily pleasures or debauchery or being charged with being unruly or insubordinate. So the words that are used in the Scripture are debauchery and insubordinates. And basically what that means, if someone that is not just continually giving in to bodily pleasures or self-gain, someone that is not just giving in to sinful temptation all the time or um, on, a, on a basis of regular nature, and somebody that is also not unruly, not unable to be taught, someone that's not above reproach, someone that's not able to fall under the teachings and the uh, example of the gospel. So as we continue on, in verse 7, and then it continues to talk about here. Paul talks about being God's steward, meaning responsible for doing his work. So when we say someone's a steward of something, if we say we need you to be a good steward of your time, that means that we're taking that time that we've been given to do the tasks we've been asked to do wisely, and we're completing that. Now, my wife would tell you that I'm a procrastinator by nature. I tend to do things last minute. When I was in school, I did things last minute. I would write papers two nights before they were due. And this is not necessarily a good practice in our faith because when we profess to believe and we profess that we know Christ, our actions should follow suit, and they should, should be a continual act of, of this happening in our lives. And so even though sometimes I can be guilty of procrastination in some facts in my life, and it's something that I always joke about that I'm good in crunch time, but sometimes that just doesn't cut it. So like I was working on typing up some parts of my sermon yesterday, and I told James I would have it to him yesterday morning, and I wound up giving it to him yesterday evening. And my wife was like, why didn't you work on it on the way home? Because... You had a free ride, Alisan's asleep, and you could have been doing it. So I was enjoying a few minutes, and I completely procrastinated in that nature. So whenever we talk about 
the importance of being a good steward, what it's saying is we're a good steward of the calling or the task that God has given us to do with our fellow believers. So if we are an elder in the church, we need to be a good steward over the areas we've been assigned. So if James assigned me to worship and the ministry team or the worship and the sound team, I need to be a good steward of reaching out to the band, reaching out to those that come in and set up, reaching out to those that are running the sound, making sure that Proclaim is loaded with our slides and things of that nature. That is being a good steward of what I've been given and also teaching and preaching in the ways that I should over the believers that I've been assigned. Um, And in the same way, this is what Paul was urging Titus to do in Crete was that they, if they're going to be an elder, they needed to be a good steward of God's word. Um, So continuing on, it tells us that a steward must be above reproach without any true blame or being guilty of behavior not characteristic of an elder believer or pastor. Um, He continues to talk about, Paul talks about not being quick-tempered and is saying an elder should not be self-pleasing or harsh, someone who is of the nature of that would not be suitable for leading a flock. So if we are harsh or quick-tempered or self-gratifying, should we be over the charge of believers who are also trying to grow in their faith? Because if we are harsh... When people try to gain instruction from us or if people need forgiveness from us, are we really going to be serving our believers or our flock or our church well if we're always snapping? And especially if we talk about that overflowing into our homes as well, if we're an elder in our church and we're a husband of our household, are we being harsh to our, hus- or being harsh to our wife and our children? Are we being harsh to our fellow believers in the church and not being understanding of their needs? This is what Paul's talking about here to Titus. So... He should not be given over to wine, but sober-minded. He should also not be one who makes the gospel um, about himself or self-gratifying. So as we continue to read in verse 8, But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And in verse 9 it says he must hold firm, to the doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so in verses 8 and 9, it speaks, Paul spoke of being hospitable, one willing to serve or being inviting. So someone that has that nature of themselves, a lover of good, which is all that is good. So if we say that someone is a lover of good, that means that all the things that are good that are talked about in the scripture of the gospel, of the world, of people, the people that they're here to serve, it is important that when we see what the gospel talks about as being good, that we are a lover of that, that we are a lover of the things that God calls good um, in Scripture. Self-controlled meaning someone that is restrained in manner. So there are people that have self-control and people that do not. If someone is an elder, he's saying to uh, Titus, listen, they need to have some restraint in manner to be in this position because they're going to be over and teaching other sound doctrine and teaching the way that they should go. It talks about being upright, holy, and disciplined. And in that, what it's talking about is Paul is saying one that is towards God, meaning living their life in the direction of the way God that teaches in the gospel and in Scripture, and having control over their tongue and of their body. So not only somebody that can control what they say, but their actions follow the things that they say as well. So are we imperfect? Yes, we are. But as believers, should we continue to live out a life that's pleasing to God and being hold, being holding and controlling over the things that we say, the things that come out of our mouth, because ultimately the things that come out of our mouth come from our heart. So continuing to understand that.
In verse 9, it talks about someone who holds to God's teachings and can teach the word as it is purposed to do so. So not only somebody that understands the scriptures, but someone that is able to understand and then apply it so that other people can understand it in simple, in simple teaching. So we don't want somebody that comes in and is doing like, you know, I have a little bit of a background in teaching at the college level. So whenever we and James have talked about this before, sometimes when I go over something, I tend to go into lecture mode. So I continue, I just like, I start running off with information. And it's like, I don't give sometimes in things we've talked about when we've learned things or gone through books together. He's like, listen, you know, it's good that you can do that, that you can explain these things. But sometimes when you're in the setting of discipleship, you have to be able to step back, stop, be silent, and ask questions and see if people have questions. And so just like a lecturer should stop and ask the class, so is there anything you don't understand before we move forward in, in this discussion? As elders, we need to be able to teach and then to stop, step back, and say, so is there anything I can help you in as we walk through the Scripture together, through these books together, through these topics in Scripture together? And that is important. Because we want to be able to create sound teaching, not teaching that will be forgotten, like the Cretans were already doing. So, again, he talks about someone who can explain and walk through with unbelievers through the word and the way that is meant to be taught. So, in verses 10 and 11, read that real quick. For there are many who are unsubordinate or insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting the whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And in verse 11, Paul talks about things being taught by the Cretan believers that were not according to God's word and that their intentions were for personal gain and not for the gain of the gospel. And so we see that we don't want to ever try to look to examples and down other believers or churches, but we know that if we look out there, there are wolves in sheep's clothing in the world that we live in today. There are churches that teach false gospel. There are churches that teach things that are not of Scripture. They tiptoe around the harsh things, and they only talk about God's love, but they don't want to talk about the things that come with repentance, salvation, and confession. And so when we talk about installing elders and being able to teach and understand, we need to understand that when we talk about this living out of that, that we are we're living a true gospel and teaching a true gospel and not a false gospel. And so when we preach that gospel, we don't want it to be for people to look at us and say, man, he is good at speaking, or man, Redeemer Church really gives out good worship services. I love listening to the songs. You know, that guy Nick can shred it on the guitar, and, you know, James, he's, got, he, he's smooth with his words, and man, he can talk. You know, that's not what our purpose is here at Redeemer Church. Our purpose is so when people watch the live stream on Facebook or they come and sit with us here in church, that they would truly know the gospel has been preached and it would change their lives. And then in verse 12, Paul talks of the Cretans, um, specific ones that he names. There are about 600 giving testimonies. He was sent for the to purify Athens in its pollution caused by Cylon, he was regarded as a divine uh, prophet. He was talking about one of the Cretans here. The words here are taken probably from his um, treatise concerning oracles. Paul also quotes from two other heathen writers, Eridus and Menander, uh, spoken about in Acts 17.28 and 1 Corinthians 15.33. But he does not honor them so far as even to mention their names. So what it's talking about here is, again, there is false gospel being preached by believers that 
believe and profess to know Christ, but their teachings are not of the gospel of Christ. And in verses 13 and 14, it continues on. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. So in verses 13 and 14, Paul talks of rebuking the believers so that they may be corrected and return to strong faith or what we would call a true faith. And so as elders, if we're installing elders in the church, and as Titus was given the task to install elders in Crete, he was telling them there need to be people installed that can rebuke the false teaching, not being harsh like we've talked about, not being angry or trying to you know do things in a way that are forceful, but they can take the things that are being taught wrong and correct it. So if you were in school and you learned something the wrong way and then some back, somebody came back around and taught you the right way to do it, a lot of times when things are taught the right way, it makes more sense, right? So in the same way, if we are taught a false gospel, a lot of times we get confused and we're living in a way that we should not should go. And then when we hear the true gospel, we have to, we st- you know, people would step back and wonder, well, that's not what I was told originally. But that makes more sense because when the true gospel is being preached, it leads to a true transformation of life and not this fake feel-good high that a lot of times people experience when they go to places and they hear these nice uplifting stories or they hear these these presentations that are supposedly from scripture but all they talk about is a one-sided um, affair of the kind parts of God but they don't hear the truth of God or maybe when people go and they um, watch on TV these sermons or on YouTube these sermons and they're like they're feeling this nice fuzzy feeling inside but there is no change that comes from the presentation of that message. So the true gospel message should change us from the inside out. We should feel the Lord working in our hearts when we experience the true gospel. And when it's time and when he's worked on us in a way that we change, there's a true change. And the one thing that scares me is that in a, the Bible Belt where people are in church, and there's a church on every corner, but people are going to go to hell left and right because they don't truly know the gospel. They're being taught a false gospel. And at Redeemer Church, we want to make sure that people know that true gospel. And... I'm not saying that I've got it all figured out. James is not saying that he's got it all figured out. We don't profess to be perfect at Redeemer Church, but we are a group of believers that are saved by grace and are confessing of our sins. And we hope that if you're listening this morning, that you would understand that God's message, his love, his grace, his gospel is alive and well in this world, even though it doesn't look so all the way around us. And as we look in the last couple of verses, in verses 15 and 16, To the, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works, and they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And so in verses 15 and 16, their moral consciousness of the conformity of discrepancy between their motives and acts on the one hand and God's law on the other hand. A conscience and a mind defiled are rep- represents as the source of the errors opposed in the pastoral epistles. So when we say this, what Paul is talking to Titus about is their words and their actions are not following through with what the gospel teaches in simple, in simple words. What they're doing and saying does not follow what the gospel teaches. And if we're going to be truly teaching the gospel, we've got to teach it from front to back. That's why at Redeemer Church, 
We teach through books of the Bible and we don't just tiptoe around and preach certain verses and then move on. It's because we believe that God's word should be preached in fullness. And in verse 16, Paul talks about the Cretans practically knowing God, but not following through with their actions. Living in this light, they are not fit to teach or be led by example their fellow believers. So if you have somebody that is not understanding completely of the true gospel, why would you want to put them in charge of preaching the full gospel. If you have somebody that doesn't understand what true salvation is, why would we want them teaching topics on true salvations to fellow believers in the community or in our church? And so this is what the Cretans were doing. They were teaching things that were completely different from what the gospel said and then expecting people to think that this was what was right. And so if we're going to install elders in Crete, as Titus was commanded to do, and as here in Redeemer Church, if we're to install elders, we have to make sure that I myself that David, anybody that comes behind, that James uh, as our lead pastor and elder, that we all follow the true gospel and that we let it transform us so that not only that we live it out, but we can teach it as well. And if we can't live it out, then why would we teach it? And that's what we pray. Our prayer at Redeemer Church is that the gospel would be known in all corners of the earth. And even though we are a small church here that is beginning, and in its, its very beginnings in these last few months, We'd have a huge mission and a huge heart for Columbus, Mississippi and the Golden Triangle and the state of Mississippi as a whole. And we hope to be in a part of missions with other churches and partnerships that would reach even beyond that. So as we conclude this morning, the gospel is preached in Titus by showing us the importance of the word, the godly nature of elders serving over the flock or our believers in the church, and the need of the leaders installed in the right places. Paul urges Titus to teach these things and to install elders so that the teaching of the Lord would be placed among the believers in Crete. This would lead to a transformation of the believers in that region and a preaching of the true gospel. So as we pray and we finish this morning and we get ready to, um, David's going to come up and he's going to give the charge in just a moment. And as we do that, he's going to pray and bless the food too. I just challenge myself and I challenge anybody that's listening this morning here, our believers here in the house and the people that are maybe watching on Facebook, that we would be transformed by the true gospel and not falling short in believing those false teachings that are out there because they are readily available. But if we read the word in its fullness, any answers that we have about the gospel and, and our belief in Christ are explained here. Um, you're not going to go somebody that doesn't know about math to learn how to do math. You're not going to ask somebody to explain to you um, how to build an airplane that knows nothing about building airplanes. If we're going to learn about the true gospel and learn about the true word, we've got to go to the source, which is the Bible. And, and that's what we've got to do. And so let us pray together, and then David's going to send us off. God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for another one today, God. We thank you for this time to be together in your scripture. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would learn from it and that we would let it transform us in our minds and our actions. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for we fail you. It's your name I pray. Amen.